Hi, I'm Margie. Welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the Desert Island. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast as it really does help others to find out about it, which is awesome. So this week, I popped into Sorted Food HQ to meet with the gang and to interview the chef of the group, Ben. The home of Sorted Food is very cool and their studio is somewhere I could happily live as my home. It's a beautiful New York-style loft. I love meeting all these interesting and inspiring people so many people out there doing these different kind of jobs and carving their own careers, which I am all in favor of and really does let me indulge my inner nosiness. Hope you enjoy this one and thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Ben Ebrill. Ben is one quarter of the YouTube cooking sensation that is Sorted Food. Sorted Food are the world's most influential social media cooking brand and have over 1.8 million YouTube subscribers and 11 million views a month. They have been dubbed the in-betweeners of food. Chef Ben is passionate about food and all the possibilities it offers. He is the trained chef of the group, having studied culinary arts management at Birmingham University. Ben has cooked for the likes of Andrew Lloyd Webber, Gary Barlow, and even the Queen. When asked what food he would most like to be and why, he replied, I think a risotto, because everyone likes risotto. They are warm and comforting. Welcome, Ben. Hi, how are we doing? Good. 11 million views a month. Can you even get your head around that? No, and it's we start when you look at hours as well and how much content. There's more hours watched than there are in a day and we just can't get our heads around that. It's, yeah, it's, it's like crazy. over a billion. Over a billion minutes of our content watched today and that's got lots of zeros on the end of it. I mean, yeah, it's just unbelievable. I just couldn't lose your mind. But let's talk about sorted food. So for anyone who doesn't know, and probably there isn't anyone who doesn't know, but can you sum up what it is in a spiffy sentence? Yeah, so we've known each other since school. And that's what, 18 years we've known each other. And we've been running the channel for coming up 10 years now. And it's all about entertaining, inspiring educating content around food but it never feels like you're learning it's kind of it's more of a friendship it's more of join us on this journey become the fifth member and you'll accidentally fall in love with food as much as we have so the food becomes like the catalyst for conversation and friendship and all the fun we have rather than the purpose it's never sort of preachy it's just it's just good fun yeah you're literally living the dream like we were just talking about earlier how you never have that sunday night feeling no i mean we work very hard but we never feel justified to use the w word it's not work yeah (laughs) we we come to a kitchen and we can play with food and stuff with our friends so it's yeah it's awesome and like all the best ideas you guys came up with the idea in the pub Yes. So that was basically back from university. We were all studying our own things and getting on with our own stuff in life. And we came back around the uh, the pub table um, in a semester break and we're sharing ideas literally on recipes and things we wanted to do back then. And that was on a pub table, yeah, 10, 10 or so years ago. Ugh, and we still have the best ideas around a pub table now. Yeah. So, but I really like sticks. that because I think so many people have those like million pound ideas in the pub, but actually, how many people put that into practice and make it happen? Whereas- and I think that was that was the logic was if it's if the idea and the concept is easy enough to scribble on the back of a beer mat, 
then that's what you want to stick with. Yes, I like that. That's a good mantra. So let's jump straight to the first desert island dish of the day. And that is the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. So, oh, good question. So I guess it's all different stages of childhood, but I do remember an awful lot of vegetables. Oh, really? In bulk in the summer my my dad used to grow veg in the garden and i remember as a kid literally actually picking the vegetables was quite fun yeah you're a toddler child i can't remember what age that was but we used to have therefore copious amounts of one vegetable to the point where it would go into everything it was runner beans or courgettes or tomatoes and the courgettes would eventually become marrows and you'd still have to find something to do with it so i think childhood i remember making good with what we had which was something like a courgette in everything yeah <laughs> for the space of a month before it moves on to something else so that's a good memory so now do you still grow your own vegetables no i wish i had more space and more capacity that some herbs yeah. on a windowsill is about as good as it gets yeah and but that's still you know i'm everyone... not that green fingered no. <laughs> <laughs> who did the cooking as you were growing up both mum and dad were really big foodies never never trained or in the profession or anything like that but we always had good food at home i i don't think a ready meal existed in our house and I don't think it was until I went to university that I realised other people ate them. It was, we always had home-cooked food and we were always encouraged to get into the kitchen and help. I say encouraged to help, told, oh. cook dinner on occasion. <laughs> yeah, there's but, a difference take there. take our part and we used to love it. Yeah, I think also that kind of experience growing up, you really learn the value of food and like learning to use what you've got. I think that's really important. So that actually brings us quite nicely to the second desert island dish, which is the first dish that you learned to cook. The very first dish, uh, I'm sure there were earlier ones, uh, a jacket potato, or I remember doing chocolate chews, which are pretty much like coconut macarons with mm. cocoa powder and things like that. So baking stuff, I'm sure that was earlier. But the first dish that I remember being told you're in charge of cooking the family meal was a fish pie. Oh, great. And I'd just been bought uh, a cookbook for my birthday. Um, I've, I've still got it signed mum and dad back in the year 2000. So I was 13. What was the cookbook? It was Jamie Oliver's um, Return of the Naked Chefs. It was the second one and it became a big inspiration. And so I was flicking through all these fantastic photos and recipes and working out which one I wanted to cook for my family. And eventually, after two or three days of nagging, mum and dad were like, right, kitchen's yours, dinner on the table when you're ready. And, and- I did a fish pie. And it was <gasps> that version. And still I cook versions of that now. I mean, you don't sort of, I suppose when you've cooked for so many years, you don't use recipes so much. You just use inspirations that you find or discover along yeah. the route. And that's partly what's so amazing about what we do at Sorted is we constantly have input from our audience yeah. through shape. So what was a recipe that started one way has this kind of journey of manipulation through lots of other suggestions and tips and tricks that we uncover along the way. Yeah. It becomes something quite different, which is cool. So I'm guessing that fish pie went down quite well. Well, I can't imagine <laughs> age 13, there would ever have been exactly the, the master chef critique, but... <laughs> Yes, it did. It was it was well received. And from that moment, was it quite obvious to you that you wanted to go into food? Yeah, not necessarily as a profession. I just knew I enjoyed it and, yeah. and loved it. It wasn't until I was, I think it was 16. I was old enough to get a first Saturday job and no garden centre or supermarket would take me. So I ended up in a pub kitchen and very quickly moved from day one pot washing just being more interested in what was going on the other side of the pass. And by day three, I was thrown into the kitchen to, to give it a go because I was so nosy they wouldn't, yeah. they got fed up of me having a look. So that's that was where it started, really. Nosiness pays off. So you studied culinary arts management at Birmingham University. And what 
I wondered, what do you think you would be doing if A, you weren't a chef and B, you hadn't started Sorted? Teaching, I think. I was always admire the the element of teaching and you know, I used to sometimes be called the teacher's pet and, oh, right. and, and used to quite enjoy <laughs> school and that journey. But the reason being was I always quite admired the, the, the learning part. I used to like learning as much as I used to like sharing that once I had the learning, which I, yeah. again is kind of what I still do yes. today. I, we've gone into the food route, we've gone into uh, social content and, and publishing and, and distribution on, on YouTube and beyond, but it's still essentially learning more skills yeah, because there's so much out there we don't know. And then finding a way to consolidate that, create an asset that somebody would want to watch and enjoy and be inspired by and they accidentally learn. So that teaching thread is through yes. what we do. Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, if I wasn't in, in a kitchen, I'd probably be in a classroom. And so what do you think, if you hadn't had that conversation in the pub all those years ago, do you think you'd be working in a restaurant? Would you have your own place? Like, what do you think you would be doing? I think when I started at University College Birmingham that the degree but the dream was my own pub and it was all those years ago and, and Barry and, and Jamie and Mike and we sort of came together with the idea of a, a student cookbook to mm. pull all of our skills together and to to create something and, and beyond that videos a better way of showcasing the friendship better than you could between you know 120 cookbook pages and it took off from there but I'm pretty sure the dream was always to own a gastro pub somewhere and create fresh menus and new ideas for 40 50 60 diners a night yeah the fact that we have the privilege of doing that for hundreds of thousands of people on the internet every day is crazy so crazy and just i mean it's not something that you ever could have planned it's not like you could have been studying and said you know this is exactly what i'm going to do because it just wasn't it didn't exist back then no i mean our home is predominantly sort of youtube that's where the focus of our video content sits and then the, the sorted world sort of eaches out and so everything else around it but We've been on YouTube nearly 10 years, but YouTube is only 11 years old. So, you know, we were one of the first on the platform yeah. using it. And we've always tried to keep content changing, and manipulating and improving to make sure it stays ever relevant. I feel like for lots of people, becoming a TV chef is sort of an aspiration and something that you can sort of look to and, and dream of. But actually what you're doing is so cool because you're completely in charge of the content and the recipes and you haven't got a big production team telling you what to do. Like it's the dream. Yeah, I mean, you say that we haven't got like a commissioning editor who signs everything off. What we have got is 1.8 million people well, yeah. <laughs> around the world who keep telling us what they want to see next. And that's what's so exciting is yeah. they kind of drive the content. They very quickly tell you what they do and don't want to see. And it helps to shape the next big success. So we're yeah. always super engaged in listening to every comment that, and reading every comment that comes in. And I can't imagine you guys get many bad comments. The, the sorted food world is a very unusual place on the internet. There is very little, if any, trolling. Like, yeah. So in the very few sort of first days, there was some. But now everyone's just more interested in having a rich conversation around food because everyone is so passionate about food. Mm. Everyone has an opinion, whether they are trained or otherwise. Everyone eats food and everyone yeah. has a real nostalgic memory as we've covered in the first sort of few questions. Everyone remembers their first food, their favourite food, and everyone loves the food from the nation where they're from so yeah. it keeps people together yeah no that's so true it's a very positive community which is really nice okay we're going to move on to the third desert island dish and that's the best dish you've ever eaten <laughs> and there's a few um we had this we had this conversation a lot here and we almost sort of coined a phrase you know you eat three times a day 
but how many of those meals do you actually remember? And you can probably list a handful that take you to that pinnacle. And I would say mine was probably, and I couldn't even tell you the name of the restaurant or the name of the dish because in that sort of moment, I remember just being amazing, but for every other reason. And that was the first bowl of food I had when I landed in Tokyo. So I flew to Japan, long journey, you're tired, you're hungry. It was quite, I was traveling alone and meeting friends there, but therefore this first meal, hungry, tired, a bit intense, kind of not speaking the language, yeah. <laughs> lots of other symbols everywhere, can't even recognize the It's very the overwhelming. The sounds, the smells, it was incredibly busy. And I kind of just bustled my way into the first ramen shop I could find. And that first bowl of ramen in Tokyo, I barely remember because it, I just went to cloud nine. It was just incredible. Yeah, I'm thinking of that right now. That sounds amazing. I mean, the whole food scene in Japan is just incredible, isn't it? So good. It's just a very different way of doing things. I remember going in and you didn't really even have any communication with people. No. I vended a ticket. I gave the ticket to the chef. The chef put this bowl of steaming ramen in front of me, an ice cold beer, and then shut the door again. And I was sat in this little booth having the best food or one of the best food moments I ever remember. That's so nice. If this is a tricky question, but if you could only eat one cuisine for the rest of your life, what would you pick? I don't think that would be Japanese because I love Japanese food, but it's as a palate, it's very samey, probably something like Italian. Yeah. I love Italian food. It's a good answer. So you and the Sorter Gang have been going for nine years. I think your anniversary for your 10 years is in March this year, which is mm -hmm. very exciting. And you now have a beautiful loft studio in East London that we're recording in. And it's all very professional. But what was your first ever video? Can you remember? So some of the first ever videos we filmed were almost by accident because we were writing a cookbook at the time. And what we thought was there was a whole group of us from school. So the four of us and a handful of our other friends, and we all just went away for a weekend down to Cornwall. And we would, the idea was to test some of the recipes. Had we written them idiot proof enough yep. for them to give them a go? We would do the testing. We did a lot of the photography down there for the first book that we wrote and self-published. And I think it was Barry's idea. He just put a camera on a tripod and it was a static camera and we just cooked. And I think it was about a 20 minute video. We had no idea what we were doing, but it was just very natural and very friends hanging out. I think we'd had a beer or two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, it just happened. And that was a chicken quesadilla, I think. So really simple, yeah. student staple. But that was the very first one. And I don't even know if it still exists on the channel. I know, I was going to say, is it still that. online? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think we're living in an interesting time where the saying about today's newspapers are tomorrow's chip papers. But that does, that's not true anymore because everything's online and it Everything all exists. <laughs> but that, that also gives us the advantage. Mm. I remember there's a couple of things where we've been able to do quicker than traditional media because our audience all over the world and they tell us about food trends before they've even hit London yeah because they're already in Brooklyn didn't that I, happen with the cronut yeah that was exactly that one so we're fortunate enough to be the first video up to make how to make a cronut long before London knew what a cronut was so but it was cool. because our audience had told us from New York and by the time it came over everyone was reporting on this cronut craze and we already had a video up so that's where sometimes online can move faster than than the real world definitely so working with three of your best friends, I imagine that's pretty fun. Are there any challenging things about working with your friends? Plenty, because I think yeah. we're also, but that's why it works, is we're all very, very different people. Even though we knew each other at school, we had very different interests at school as well. We have very different skill sets, and that's why it works together. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say in 10 years, there's never been anything we haven't been able to resolve 
over a beer. That's amazing. Which is where the idea started as well. So it makes sense. We can yeah. always always take it back together. to the beer garden. <laughs> and being friends, you can be very, very frank and blunt with each other as well because we know why we're doing it. Yeah. And you know you can say things and then the next day or, you know, the next week it will have blown over and you will have resolved it. Which I think you said at the start with the reference to the in-betweeners. And I yeah. think it is that because you're so close, you kind of know everybody's weaknesses. You know everything they've done right and wrong for the last 10 years and sometimes you can use that as ammunition which yeah. is great <laughs> yeah yeah a bit like siblings yeah so I can imagine maybe it would get tense if one person felt like the other person wasn't pulling their weight but it seems to work so well because you all have a different role don't you yeah both I mean most people only see those roles on screen which is yeah. very very different to what we're doing we're sort of running the channel and the, and the, the business behind but the thing is we all want to be here yeah. which is like it's not a, it's not a job it's something we put every hour into every day and, and it doesn't really shut down yeah because it's online well we're asleep our biggest yeah. audience over in america are awake so is, actually is that where your biggest audience certainly is? a big chunk so yeah us uk australia canada well, all over the world also i read that 60 percent of your viewers are female certainly <laughs> a slight actually it's becoming more and more even oh, but it? certainly in the earlier years we had a, a a skewed female audience yeah. but we're starting to grey now so it's different <laughs> hardly your spring chickens moving on to the most important question of the day it's the fourth desert island dish what is your favorite sandwich this is the easiest question and oh, at the same time okay. the hardest one to answer it has to be blt which sounds too classic but i think it's because there's so many different ways it can be taken only earlier this week um, not quite BLT, but maybe bacon sandwich is a better way of saying it. But I drove into town and stopped at Billingsgate Market on the way in. So it's what, a mile from the studio here. And if you pop in there early morning, they do an awesome bacon and scallop roll. And they're Ooh. known for it. And, you, you know, only at one of the world's best fish markets will you get fresh scallops in your bacon yeah. roll. But it just... It's a bacon sandwich, but upper gear. It's amazing. Oh, that sounds amazing. I don't think I've ever had... I know I've obviously had bacon and scallops together, but not in a sandwich. In a sandwich. Do sounds, it. It's yeah. awkward. It's, I like need to the, do it. it's like the cheapest, tastiest, freshest scallop you'll ever eat in London. Yum. Great tip. So like you touched upon, one of the really fun things about Sorted seems to be the really collaborative approach that you have with your audience. You're sort of always asking for ideas about what they want to see, which just seems to make so much sense like you want to show them what they want to watch but you must get some weird requests and I wondered I mean I saw something about banana bread with mayonnaise cropping up mm -hmm. yeah I think over the years we've had some peculiar suggestions and some which we've had to ignore and yeah. others we've sort of gone or some we've ignored for too long and they keep coming in oh. and you're like we can't ignore this anymore let's give it a go and it turns out to be brilliant like tomato what? soup cake i think rings oh. a bell okay being somebody said oh, put a tin of tomato soup in your cake and i thought rubbish ignore it and over the course of a couple of months several people were suggesting it and i gave it a go it's delicious. As in pouring the tomato as soup? As in, I think if uh, the videos, as all of them are still there online, it was years ago, but we made the cake batter. Yeah. And you tip an entire tin of tomato soup into it. <laughs> yeah. And it just smells, the whole cake batter smells like baby vomit. It's disgusting. <laughs> it shouldn't work. You put it into the oven, so doubtful, and it comes out delicious, like almost spiced and gingery and almost like a ginger cake oh my goodness there's no like, ginger but it's delicious that's the weirdest suggestion i've ever heard but and i'm, I'm gonna have to try it yeah. as as do so many of the national dishes we did a um Haney's chicken from mm. singapore we'd never even heard of it but there were so many requests for it 
we have a big audience in Singapore. They were telling us we hadn't done it. And eventually we got around to doing it. And so glad we did because it's delicious. Yeah, that's so fun. We've never even heard of it. That's so cool. So you're sort of learning loads along the way. Like it's so collaborative and fun. I ran out of recipes about eight years ago. Well, yeah. (laughs) Thankfully, we've got a huge community who help shape. And and the cookbook we did back end of last year for a Kickstarter. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So many of those recipes were shaped by the community and, and it was their recipes as well. And at times, the stories behind the recipes are stronger than the recipes. Yeah. It's been handed down through generations of family. And then we get the privilege of being able to publish it on their behalf, which is amazing. I guess that's the beauty of the internet, isn't it? All this sharing and, like you say, finding out recipes that have been sort of stored in families for ages. And otherwise, you'd never get to hear about it. Which I think is perhaps polar opposite to the... Or maybe more so now media is a bigger part, but to the to the restaurant industry where it used to be the signature dish of a chef, like he would he or she would never let that out. No, it was such that a was, secret. This is you have to come here to try it, and we'll never share it. Whereas for us, it's completely different. We want to, we want as many people around the world to get in a kitchen with their mates and have as much fun as we can. Yeah, and end up with great food as well. Yeah, um, I I read an interview with a chef. And she said when she first started out, people thought she had a a beautiful bakery. And then she did a book to go alongside the bakery. And everyone said, you're crazy. You can't give away your recipe ideas. And she was like, no, the whole point is I want people to make them at home and it's not going to stop. It's a completely different experience going somewhere and eating something. I think for ages we've been too scared to share, but actually it's the way forward. It's very much the culture we're in now. Yeah, definitely. Okay, moving on to the fifth desert island dish. It's the dish you eat the most often. The beauty about our job is over the years, like 1,500 odd videos, like we're always looking for the next new thing. We very rarely get time to go back and repeat yeah. something. That said, we've all got favourites. And I think when I get home, there's certain things that I'll do time and time again. Yeah, so what are the things that you cook when and you're at home? It's more of like a genre. I do a lot of stir fry because it's quick and it uses up whatever's in the fridge, the crunchy veg and all of that. But is it a recipe? I don't It's kind of a... It's a dish. It's almost like a dish and almost yeah. like a formula. I know it needs a little bit of protein, a little bit of veg, a little bit of rice or, or noodle and a, a sauce that you can throw together from any of these things in the cupboard. So yeah, I'd say stir fries are pretty go-to, which again sounds like a standard answer, but no. it's never a standard dish because it's always different. Yeah. And I think that's a great answer for that particular question because cooking doesn't have to be complicated. It's just, you know, often it's about ease and what you've got to hand and not stressing out if you haven't got the particular ingredients. It's just, that's the beauty of just it. Just give it a it? go. Yeah. So you got into YouTube really early on and obviously it's grown into this hugely successful platform. But at the time, did all your friends and family think that what you were doing was a bit crazy? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the comments, when will you get a proper job kind of thing. Oh. <laughs> but no, it, you know, in jest, but um, it's, we just had something that we loved doing. And in the early days could just about make it work. And we had some, um, we were very fortunate, we had some some funding in the early days to do the first cookbook and to, to give right. it a go and sort of play around with this idea. Yeah. Um, well, how did that come about? Through a family. Great. Remember, so um, Barry's dad and stuff like that. And then we were able to do sort of evening and weekend work to help sort of fund that. And which is when I worked in the trade a lot in hotels and restaurants, because they could give me shifts to hone my skills and teach yep. me more when the rest of the world was socializing. So the, the two worked hand in hand. Yeah. And then over the years, it's just kind of grown from that. And I think as, as you get more and more traction, the first time you see people watching the videos that you don't know. Yeah, not just your mum and dad. Not just your family. Um, <laughs> then it was like, well, maybe there's something in this. Yeah. So how long did it take for you to realise that actually this could be something that, you know, could really be something? 
I think everyone thinks of YouTube as that place of viral videos and stuff, but I'm not sure we've ever had a viral video. It's always been this pretty impressive but steady growth for the last 10 years. So yeah, which as was, a business is obviously what you want. Yeah, so it means you, there's everything there to support it as it grows and as we expand. But I think it was a it was a good couple of years into it initially when we sort of first gave up proper jobs to to put all of our time into this and one by one so Jamie was working in a marketing um, agency and, and Mike was teaching uh, music and stuff so eventually we were all be able to sort of jump on board and now the, the team here in the studio is sort of 14 strong of the whole production team and end to end and the social and everyone who makes the end product possible. Yeah that's just amazing to have grown it to that number of people and that many years it's incredible so cool a question that they always ask on a podcast that I particularly love the podcast is how I built this and they always ask successful entrepreneurs how much of your success do you think is down to timing and luck and how much is down to your idea and the individual talents and skill good question timing was everything for us because we jumped onto online social platforms at a time when they were in our pockets yeah smartphones were just starting and everyone had access to it i honestly think if we had this idea today and started up we would really struggle to make any traction we we were we were there at a right time that said you've got to then have the ideas and intuition to make it work and to constantly reinvent and adapt definitely and be bold enough to drop the things that aren't working and skew left skew right and we've sort of zigzagged our way through the last 10 years but it means that you're constantly learning from the some stuff we look back on that seemed like a great idea at the time but you beg the question why or oh, how really to, oh, we, we brewed our own beer at one point oh, did you because we thought that was a great way to appeal to students who should yeah. be looking at cooking more often so we brewed our own beer but that you don't realize how difficult it is to yeah. ship and distribute something yeah. as heavy as a bottle of beer <laughs> so that didn't it never really worked out but it was good fun while we were doing it and then we went left and right a bit and we end up here today i mean the ability of being able to pivot is a skill in itself and obviously timing plays a huge role in anyone's success but being able to spot the timing and you know that's you've got to give yourself a lot of credit for that And, and the privilege of being able to work with other great people in the industry over the years and and actually work alongside and and with and see them not as competition but as exciting people doing other great things and how can we and I think maybe that's the YouTube platform it's much more collaborative that's really nice especially when it's food a lot of the YouTube creators we can collab and do videos together because everyone has a common interest in food so that's quite nice as well yeah and like one person's success doesn't mean that the other person's going to be less successful like there's room for everyone basically something that I am always really impressed by in other people is your sort of ability to to do what you're doing and not see what someone else is doing and kind of be swayed by it. So I'm thinking specifically of BuzzFeed and the tasty videos and that kind of format. When videos like that sort of coming out and started going a little bit viral, was it tempting to sort of see that and then maybe try to move into that kind of video? Very tempting to the point where we did it. And the ability to be such a small business and so agile is we could quickly move and we built ourselves this amazing rig that shot top down and we did lots of these videos that sort of stop motion, slow motion, sped up bits. And it was really cool, but we'd done it for a couple of weeks and seeing quite good results. We very quickly realised that wasn't us and we weren't enjoying it. What was us was the fact that we're a bunch of mates and we can have a lot of fun together and... 
actually, if the people in this world like Tasty and, and, and BuzzFeed Food, they get huge views, but they don't have is the engagement no. and the conversation and the kind of interaction and connection with an audience and the views are very short whereas for us people watch huge amounts of the video like huge retention that is unheard of on youtube in terms of a time of retention and watch time and stuff like that and that's where we realized is our is our kind of part of what we do we want to share food we want to teach food definitely you do that through the friendship more than you do through another top-down video of more to cheese yes which is tempting yeah that's so interesting Okay, we're on to the sixth desert island dish, and that is your go-to dinner party dish. It's a D word. <laughs> Nobody likes the word dinner party because it's always that fear factor. Yeah. Like, I love hosting, and I quite often lag my way through that and have lots of cheats that yes, I'm really us, keen on. So that we, we actually started working uh, back end of last year with uh, Workshop, which is a, a great um, sort of online app that does very handheld straight one-to-one with expert mentors on all sorts of topics the 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 course i did was hosting basically and and how much of it can you get done ahead yeah and i'm all for that too it's the long slow cooks like a curry feast or or a a massive moussaka or something that's just it bubbles away it does its thing and when you're ready for food then you can calmly and effortlessly just plate it up and everyone loves it. And you've done the big, bold flavors yeah. the day before even. So that, I think, is my go-to style of cooking. So a big moussaka or a, a curry, fit, two or three different curries. Everyone can dig in. And it's it's more personal than just, there's your food, yeah. eat it. And I've got to go back to the kitchen because I've got to stress over the next course. Yeah. So I think it's it's much more about the sharing of food rather than showing off with food definitely and so relaxing waking up on the morning of the dinner party knowing you've kind of already done most of the work yep <laughs> what would you serve for pudding are you a pudding person yeah i've got a dangerously sweet okay <laughs> <laughs> classics though I, I and i think people are almost sometimes afraid of doing the simpler things for something like a dinner party yeah a, a good crumble or We've got some, one of the recipes is the easiest chocolate fondant, which is like showing off. But again, you can make them ahead of time, yes. chill them down and they can go in from the fridge. So you good. Made in the morning, 15, 16 minutes, perfect every time. So something like that is, it's not particularly original. It's not something that people haven't heard of before, but everyone loves it. Also, you're so clever because the chocolate fondant is one of those things that everyone thinks is really hard, but they are surprisingly easy. So Simple ratios. So always remember the recipe and away you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you've cooked for some very cool people. Andrew I noticed you've done your research. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Very cool. I know, name dropping for you. But something I always get asked a lot as a chef is, <laughs> have you ever had any cooking disasters? There's always the very fluffy answer, which is there's no such thing as disaster. It's just a learning curve. But yeah. <laughs> there's some things that have definitely, definitely gone wrong. Um, I, I seem... I'm often known here in the studio for burning caramel, which I think I've done countless times because I just get trying to do too many things at once, get yeah. distracted and it, it turns in a second. But I think that probably the one biggest moment that I literally thought I was going to turn myself inside out was uh, I used to work in a hotel and it was a wedding and um, entirely my fault. I pretty much overcooked the fillet beef. I got so involved in helping the rest of the team put together the, the appetizers to go out because they were slightly behind that I turn my back on what I was doing and that's somebody's big day you only get one chance weddings are so stressful and as it happened I we just about got away with it because we had a wedding the following day so I had backup that I could quickly put in to do the super rare stuff that probably didn't rest as much as it should but was okay 
and I just about managed to use the middle bit and most of the winning party wanted it more well done. I mean, everything was fortuitous, but yeah. that was a moment when I nearly just died inside. It's so stressful and it, you know it's just food, but in that moment, it's like heart-stopping, isn't it? And I think that's the pressure of working in the industry and, and real kitchens, which is very different sort of adrenaline and pressure to when you're doing stuff in front of a camera or live TV or stuff like that, which is a completely different adrenaline. And I, I do miss working in kitchens. I think there'll come a time when we look to go back into that area. Maybe it would be quite, yeah. quite cool. So did you enjoy working in a kitchen? Mm, I loved it and, and learned so much. I think you learn how to think on your feet, how to multitask, how to hone the skills to the point of, as I said before, we've done some recipes that we've published. I probably only ever cooked two or three times. Yeah. A couple of practices, test recipe development, and then on camera. I may never have gone back to it. So I'm far from rehearsed and practiced in it. There's a lot of people out there who are much better at every element of cooking. We're just lucky that we've dabbled in it, in it all. Yeah. So, yeah, you get to put more time and practice into working it when you're doing it. Definitely. So we're on to the final desert island dish and it's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island and you are allowed several courses. Ah, okay, there's there's a a twist. (laughs) I love really, really good posh trash food. Okay. So it's not trash food, but like um, a really nice mac and cheese, but one like a lobster mac and cheese or something like that. that I feel like that's a luxury you might not get on a desert island. Yep. Um, (laughs) And something sweet to finish. Whatever it is, pair it with a good wine as well, because I feel like that's something that that needs to happen. Yeah. And something I wanted to l- learn more about. That's my big aim for this year is oh, understand really? more about wine. I love, I know what I like and I like what I know, but there's a world of that out there that needs exploring. Yeah. What are you going to go for? Something chocolatey? Fruity. I think fruity. more fruity. Rhubarb. Oh, I don't know why. I don't, Certain flavours that aren't, we don't eat all year round, but when they come back round, you sort of think, oh, I've yeah. this. Like you kind blood, of look forward to them. And rhubarb and things like that. And obviously the British strawberry. But again, that feels too cliche. Seasonal fruit. Okay, great answer. And you're allowed to take with you a luxury item. It can be anything you like. Just one thing. Food related, I presume it has to be. No, it can be anything. Should never go away without a pack of cards, which is a very bizarre thing to say. No, it will keep you entertained. Keeps you entertained and always gets a crowd going when you've got some sort of card game to play yeah so, and you can play solitaire when you're on your own yeah and if, if i'm yeah. on my own i'll just sit in, <laughs> in the corner counting them it's fine yeah practice your shuffling um amazing thank you so much no, for letting pleasure. us hear your desert island dishes thank you so that was ben's desert island dishes i knew the moment he mentioned melt in the middle chocolate puddings that would be the recipe i would be writing for my desert island dishes column this week so head to www.desertislanddishes.co for the recipe. They are so good and I promise so much easier to make than you might think. I'm off to Norfolk now to celebrate my little baby niece's birthday. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone, and I will see you next week. Bye. Bye.